Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Influencer Essentials Podcast. Each week, our influencer guests will drop lessons on how they build their brand, run their business, and find their balance. I'm your host, Brittany Hennessy, author of Influencer, Building Your Personal Brand in the Age of Social Media, creator of the Influencer Business Plan course, and co-founder of Carbon August, an influencer education company. On this week's episode, I chat with Francesca Murray of One Girl, One World on her pivot from travel to beauty post-COVID-19, how she battled imposter syndrome to create three ebooks, and the key to balance when what you do for work is what others do for fun. This is a good one, guys, so let's get into it. This is episode six. We have a fantastic treat for you. Francesca Murray will be joining us, and we are going to be talking about all things in the great pivot. And you may have been following Francesca because she is one girl, one world on Instagram and has been a fantastic travel influencer for a very long time. But as we all know, sometimes you've got to make a change. And she didn't just make a small change. She like showed up in the beauty world and like actually gets paid brand deals, has been on listicles for like a top beauty influencer to watch. And so we can pretty much say this pivot was successful. So everybody get ready for Francesca Murray. Hi, Francesca. Hi, thanks so much for that info, that uh, intro that made me feel warm. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we try to do here. We try to make you feel warm, comfortable. We're all friends, all family. But I want you to introduce yourself and just tell everybody because not everybody knows who you are, even though I've known who you are for a long time. You're a very popular travel influencer. Anybody who knows and anyone who's in the space knows your name. But just tell everybody who you are and how you got you know, into this crazy industry known as influencer marketing. Right. So I've been doing One Girl, One World since uh, 2014. So I do believe that's coming up on seven or eight years. (laughs) I have to go back and count because it was a long time ago. Um, And I started as a travel blogger. So before Instagram was like the thing that all the brands were looking for, before people were even really getting paid to travel, Um, I just kind of stepped out on faith. It was what I loved. I wanted to see more representation in the travel industry. So I put myself out there. And now here I am giving tips for millennial women on the go on hair, uh, skincare and lifestyle as well. I love that. So I want to touch a little bit on travel just to set everybody up for your pivot. But talk a little bit about when you realized you could be a travel blogger and successfully and like do this for real. I know you travel a lot for your relationship. So did that have anything to do with you pursuing this full time? Just to give everyone a little bit of background. We don't want to go too in depth because this is going to be more about the pure pivot into beauty than it is, you know, no one, no one comment and say, how come we didn't talk about how to make money as a travel influencer? We're not going to do that. (laughs) We're not going to do that. But just give people like a little sense of like what you were doing in terms of you know, organic content and also branded content as a travel influencer. Right. So um, the 
When I first decided to go full-time, I realized that, okay, this is something others are starting to get paid for. I saw other travel influencers using the paid partnership tool on their campaigns. So I was like, okay, I had already started getting invitations for press trips, which was exciting because I could build my content without having to pay because as a travel influencer to get started, it's a lot of initial investment in going and traveling yourself, which is something I feel like a lot of people don't realize. Someone's not going to pay you to go on your first trip ever. So you have to kind of get that experience before you start getting paid. And um, as I started getting more and more invitations for these press trips, I started asking, well, do you have a budget for deliverables? And I feel like that's what kind of put me from just a blogger into an actual travel influencer that could do this as a career. And so that's kind of what led to me taking it full time. Now, I love that. And it it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think luxury fashion is a lot like this, too, where people are like, Mm -hmm. you know, Chanel doesn't just show up at your door with handbags. (laughs) You buy a lot of Chanel to get on their radar. But it makes sense because, you know, I think a lot of people get into influencer marketing because of the paycheck, which can be great. But in order for it to actually be sustainable, it has to be something you're willing to do for free. It has to be a passion that has to be like your lifestyle. That's what we're signing up to look at. And, you know, some influencers will tell you it can take a very long time before you make any money. So it should definitely be something that you (laughs) You love. Right. And you would be would be doing anyway. Right. Yeah. But, you know, like a lot of travel bloggers, you were living your best life. I'm sure like 2019 was probably like a banger year for you. Everyone's like, yeah, finding my groove, (laughs) understanding the algorithm. And then coronavirus, which, you know, knocked a lot of people over. But for travel, you know, influencers specifically, it was like overnight. It was like, you cannot go anywhere. You cannot do anything. There's your content. You couldn't even pull old content from the vault because it was like, nobody cares about your trip last spring to like Greece. You've got to be like serious. So let's talk a little bit, not so much about how did it affect your business, but what was your mindset and were you going to start pivoting pre-coronavirus and this accelerated it or was it more of a, okay, this cannot be my one vertical. I definitely have to branch out and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, so for me, it's exactly as you said, I had already been thinking about pivoting and this came and it just accelerated it (laughs) like overnight. Um, I even I plan to go back in my feed because I did a post about um, I was experiencing a little bit of depression because I felt like I was in this box of travel and travel is such a specific niche that when you if you're traveling and then the next thing you're showing people like what's in your pantry (laughs) at the time, it just felt like who's going to really care about other interests. So um, when the pandemic hit, it was interesting because all the travel influencers were scrambling to figure out how to integrate other niches. So it kind of gave me the kick that I needed to let the fear go of starting to introduce these other topics to my audience and those topics being natural hair, skincare, and beauty. Um, it really gave me the push to just go for it because I had nothing else to give them anyway in terms of travel. So um, I don't want to call it serendipitous because obviously the pandemic was a horrific thing to experience, but the timing for me was a push to go ahead and start creating that content that you've been 
dreaming about creating for months. And people had been asking me as well. When I would go somewhere and I'd have my fro in Jamaica, they'd say, how did you resist the humidity? If I would travel to uh, from the Cook Islands to L.A. to another climate, how did you keep your skin from freaking out? So there was like a budding interest. And I just feel like I needed the confidence to actually dive in and not worry about whether people were going to rock with it or not. Thankfully they did though. So how did you, so there was some audience ask about hair care and skin care. How did you figure out that's what you were going to branch out into as opposed to, you know, trying your hand at like tutorials? Because when people think beauty, they automatically think cosmetics, which is right. not true. Like skincare is its own huge industry. Oh, it is. That, yeah. you know, has a lot of expertise. So how did you figure, you know, was it more like audience led of this is where I'm getting the questions? So how did you figure out like what your pivot was going to entail? So to be honest, I kind of looked at it the way that I looked at travel. Um, skincare and hair care are two topics that I genuinely love and I engage with daily. I have my skincare routines. I love learning about new products. I read Sephora reviews for fun just to see what I'm going to buy next. And then when it comes to hair care, I mean, I've been natural for five years and that in itself has been a journey. Um, and it's something that I'm always learning about, reading about in my personal time. So for me, it was just another genuinely passionate area that I wanted to explore on my feed and in my brand. And also, I think the part where my audience comes in is that they let me know that it's something that could actually serve them as well. So it, it let me know that, okay, even though I personally love beauty, could talk about it all day, it's also not going to be too self-serving because there are people out there who are looking for this information. I like that. You know, that's one of the things that helps with any sort of change. If it's audience guided, where you're kind of like, people want this, people are going to vibe with it. So when you started doing the, the content difference, what was the reaction? Were you pleasantly surprised that like people being like, hey, this is what we were looking for, where, you know, was your audience, did they just roll with it? Was it kind of like, oh, we figured you'd do this because, you know, the pivot? Because I think with a pivot too, a pandemic pivot is one thing. But plenty of people have to pivot when they get married and now all of a sudden there's like another right. person on their feed and they're like, who is this person? Why are we looking <laughs> at this other person? Or the poor fashion bloggers who then have a baby and it's all like pampers and juice box. And people are like, no, where is... You know, where's the Dior? I did not sign up for whatever this mom look is. I don't want this. And so, you know, but influencers, you guys are real people. Like when you follow an influencer, you're following them through the progression of their life, whatever that means. You know, what if something happens and you get really sick and you can't travel? And it's like, oh, I'm not going to travel for three months. Are you not supposed to post for three months, you know? So I think it's very interesting to like let influencers guide their brands in whatever direction and to be open as audience members. But what what was the public facing? Like what happened on your feed? And then what happened in your DMs? Like did you get DMs that were like, why are you doing this? Or was your audience mostly like super supportive? So I'm going to be very transparent because I think it will help other people. It is something that you as an influencer have to be mentally prepared for because you will lose people in your audience. And mm. for me, the silver lining was kind of when I look at my metrics, um, as there was a steep decline, there was also a sharp growth. So I had to remind myself, okay, for the people that I'm losing, 
I'm also gaining people who are interested in what I'm talking about now. And so I'm going to be honest, there are going to be people who are just like, I didn't sign up for this. And then especially for me starting to do beauty, that's not really interesting to a male audience. So that was interesting as well to see my demographic shift from like 75% female to like 80, now 90, which is actually great in the long run. I'm very happy with that. But um, those are all things that you have to be prepared for. You are going to lose some people, and it could be quite a lot of people. But if that's really what you're sure about and what you're focused on, then you've got to just power through it and know that your tribe will eventually find you. I like that. And travel is one of those interesting fields, along with food, where you can't have a 50-50 split in male-female mm-hmm. audience, you know? And even across, like, racial lines, you can... Like, I think a lot of influencers of color are surprised, like, oh, if they're travel or food, your audience can be 50-50. Whereas if it's beauty, you know, your audience tends to look like you because you're swatching products that look, that look you know, that are for people who look like you, the hair care for people who look like you. So you really end up with, like, a mirror audience. Whereas travel, I mean, who doesn't want to get on a plane and go somewhere? Right. Who doesn't like good food? So you really can end up with, like, a wide audience range But also, that is something that can hurt when you're doing brand partnerships because, you know, maybe your female audience isn't as large as they'd like it to be or you span, like, a lot of age demographics when they really want, you know, a group that's going to buy this specific product. So can you talk a little bit in terms of brands, you know, how was, what was your pitching process, you know, because travel is very separate, you know, some agencies cross over some platforms cross over, but for the most part, brand contacts are different in those two worlds. So how did you repackage yourself and reach out to brands saying like, hey, I'm super huge in the travel world, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm doing I'm doing some beauty now and this is who I am. And, you know, this is why you should pick me, because, you know, I think a lot of influencers do skincare and hair for years and can't figure out how to position themselves. Let alone, you know, not that it's new because you've always sprinkled in those sorts of things into your feed, but to now have it as a focus and a sponsored content focus is something, I don't want to say starting all over, but it's akin to starting all over. It kind of is, yeah. (laughs) Right. So how did you, how did you figure out how you were going to repackage yourself and then what were the steps you took to like introduce yourself to your new contacts? So there's two things. So I will say um, one thing that has been massively helpful is Reels, Instagram Reels. And we can talk about that because uh, I have an ebook on Reels, but that's another part um, of the story. But Reels, I was an early adopter pretty much, I think, the first week that it launched. I was ready to go. I was like, let's test this out. And so um, that's kind of where I started to really start to put like hair care like meme type videos or like comedic twists and things like that I did a few skincare videos and since the reach on reels is organically higher than all other in-feed content even though I was doing skincare and hair care type reels which maybe didn't interest the whole of my audience they were getting pushed by the algorithm regardless Mm. and so I was able to have those stats on deck like, like, and I ended up having two videos go viral that were in the hair niche. So I was like, yes, this is, <laughs> let's go. And so once I got that, um, and then the other thing about Reels too is that while I was experimenting, um, you can publish it to your audience, but then you can move it off feed. So the things that were 
a little bit too far off from travel. I was able to like kind of hide from my audience, but still have them on my page. So the stats were still there. And then, so once I had enough of, um, I guess a portfolio per se, um, that's when I started sending my cold pitches and introducing myself. And I would lead with, Hey, I do travel, um, travel, beauty, lifestyle tips for millennial women on the go and millennial women on the go need hair care, skin care, etc. Just because you're traveling, those needs don't stop. And by the way, I recently had a hair care reel go viral and I'm having questions about how I got my hair in that video. So if you partner with me, I can show them using your product. And so that's kind of how I was able to leverage. Um, and I think it would have been a little more tricky if it was based on like story engagement or feed posts, because like I said, as you pivot, those numbers just aren't going to be as high because people are still getting used to it. I love that. I think, you know, using a new platform really does help, especially in a pivot, because you don't, you don't really have too much, you know, well-known travel content in a reel because it hasn't been around that long. And right. Thing, yeah. You know, when people were like, you know, I've always been X, Y, and Z blogger, but on TikTok, I'm going to try something a little different. And you can create like a whole new you know, a whole new brand and really figure out, okay, what are we going to use this platform for? How can I reestablish myself as an expert in a different space? And I love that you used Reels because I think, you know, there's always something new. I mean, this is ridiculous. There's constantly (laughs) Reels. There's, you know, there's Reels and then there's IGTV and then it's like, there's all sorts of things and you're really big on Clubhouse. I want to make sure we talk about that. But jumping on it and using it to highlight your newer stuff and then getting rewarded, like you said, having a video go viral is fantastic. And I think, you know, everyone who's wondering about pivoting, I would definitely use the newer features to reach a different audience because as we all know, when something new comes out, that's what Instagram is pushing because they want you to go, well, this performs really well. Let's make more of it. Yes, Mm -hmm, they know. This (laughs) This is why it works that way. So making sure that you don't just fall into your old habits with whatever right. new features there are, you do use that to push. And you know, if you've never done a beauty reel before, no one knows what your beauty reels are supposed to look like. So no one's going to be mad at you if they don't look a certain way. You can use that to experiment, which I think when you're an established influencer, the amount of time you get to experiment starts to dwindle because people are paying a lot of attention to you. Audience feels like they have claims over your content. Brands are watching you and like, this is a little different than what we thought we were going to get. And so anytime you can experiment, that's always great. But, you know, sponsored content is not, you know, the end all be all of influencer life. And I really, especially pre and post pandemic, have been pushing influencers to find other ways to make money because you cannot do SponCon all your life. And as we see, sometimes SponCon dries up and then what are you going to do? But you don't have this problem. Because I know that you've written an ebook, but you've written two more since I've been talking about it, which is mind blowing. So talk a little bit about how, I mean, I wrote one book, can't even get a second one out and you're out here cranking the ebooks. I love it. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your first ebook, how you came up with the idea, and then let us know, you know, what did you learn that you applied to ebooks two and three? Yeah, so my first ebook was a couple years ago, and it's Your Ultimate Guide to Martinique. Uh, It's a travel guide. I spend a lot of time in Martinique because my partner is based there. And I was unknowingly kind of starting to brand myself as an authority on Martinique just by simply talking about it so much and showing so much of that content. 
Um, like I said, this was a couple years ago, so I was still building my brand as a travel influencer. And I just kept getting bombarded with all these questions because Martinique is a French-speaking island. So if you wanted information in English, it was usually my blog would be the first thing that popped up. And so one day I was like, instead of spending all this time giving individual personalized advice, I'm just going to throw everything I know into an ebook. And if people want the information that bad, then they'll just buy it. And so I self published the ebook and I put it on my website and Amazon uh, for $15. And I had a little bit of imposter syndrome at first because I had never asked people to pay for information and 15 could be a little high for some people I don't know but I was like you know what I spent so many hours on this so it is what it is and people bought it and it's sold almost a thousand copies since then which is incredible and led me to my next two ebooks um so one of them is how to write a five-figure travel guide so if you want to know my whole process of how I wrote the book uh, you can find that on my website. And then the third ebook is The Ultimate Guide to Instagram Reels. And that's everything that I know about Reels, how I used Reels to pivot, how you can use Reels in your own niche or as a small business, and how uh, Reels can help you earn more as an influencer because it's a video content. So it's another category. And so those are my three ebooks for now. <laughs> I love it. And you know, I think. It's so smart to, you know, we talk about this all the time, diversify your revenue streams. You need to figure out other ways to make money. And books of any kind are great because you write them once. Once, yep. That's it. <laughs> I still get twice a year royalty checks from influencer roll in and I'm like, oh, this is so nice because I wrote the book in 2017 and I will get checks as long as people continue to buy the book. So that's that's really nice, you know, and I do like the self-publishing and I won't ask you too many questions about it because if you wanna know how she did it, buy her book, she just told you. But I do like that because, you know, that you always hear great stories of people who self-publish and make a lot of money because unlike traditional publishing, you keep majority of the money. Whereas in traditional publishing, you get like 2% of whatever you earn, which ends up literally being $2 half the time per book. And I'm sure, you know, self-publishing is much more lucrative, even though you have to share with, you know, your with Amazon or whatever your publishing you partner yeah. is. <laughs> but I think it's a great way to establish yourself as an expert because that's the difference between you and someone else who also goes to Martinique a lot. Well, did they write a book about it? No. Well, then you're the expert, not them, you know? And then even yeah. if someone is like, oh, I know a lot about writing ebooks. Well, did you write an ebook about writing an ebook? You did it. Well, then you're not the expert on it. And so it really is a way for people to establish expertise because a book is just another thing that makes you an expert. It's just another thing you can point to and say, well, I know enough that I could write it all down and turn it into something, which I think is an important part of, you know, branching out and making sure that your career as an influencer is sustainable. So I'm assuming at some point we'll get some beauty ebooks from you now that that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's your niche and you're, you're hanging out in the beauty space. But, you know, I think, you know, one of the things you talked about was imposter syndrome. And I think, you know, imposter syndrome is, is a very real thing. Even I get it sometimes. And I'm like, wow, I have imposter what? syndrome. Like, it's, it's, listen, I think every, I think it creeps up on everybody where you're like, 
am I supposed to be doing this? Like, why would it, like, when I had to do this podcast, when I started it, I was like, are people gonna, like, I talk so much on every platform. Like, are people really gonna listen to, like, some, yet another thing? And the truth is, yes, they will. I think, you know, as long as the information is good, you don't have to feel like an imposter because there's so much bad information out there. This is true. <laughs> people are people are really looking for, you know, what what is what is good and and what they can actually learn from. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I'm glad that you pushed past it because, you know, when you pivot, that's a big part of it too. It's like, can I can I hold ground in this new space? You know, other people have been in this particular niche since they started. Who am I to like come into this niche and and act like people should follow me instead and branch and give me money. But it's like in every industry, there's someone who is a lot worse than you who is still getting paid. And so if they can get paid, (laughs) you should get paid. That's how I look at it a lot of the times too. I'm glad you said that so other people can kind of think of it that way because it's true. It's uh, the people who, closed mouths don't get fed, I guess, ultimately is what you can say. So if you stop yourself before you give yourself a chance to soar, then someone else is going to come and they're going to have no shame about it and they're going to reach that spot. So That's true. And then I think for the most part, that really motivates me to do a lot of things. There were a lot a lot of bad coaching programs popping up and I was like, all right, let me get out here and coach. A lot of bad courses. Okay, let me put together a course. So many bad things and, you know, Clubhouse, and we can talk a little bit about this because I know you're very big on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is one of those places where I was like, I'm not joining another thing. I can't, <laughs> I don't want to, like I have a TikTok, but I don't post. I just consume content and share Same. <laughs> because I love, that's my favorite platform to consume content on because it's just, it's so good. And so reminiscent of Vine, which was, which used to be my favorite platform, RIP. And on top of it, I'm an Android user. So I had to like buy an iPad. It was like, it's an investment. It's like, I don't want to get into Clubhouse, but then I started hearing about all the awful information being shared on Clubhouse. And I was like, oh, I can't leave my audience hanging like that. Like, I've got to come out and, and be in some of these rooms and, like, actually educate the people. So that's why I ended up joining. And, you know, it, it is yet another thing <laughs> that you have to it create is, yeah. <laughs> content for. And another platform that you start from zero at. But it's much easier to grow on Clubhouse than it any is, other yeah. platform. Because I think I have like 1.5 thousand followers and like I'm barely on it. And I've only been on it for like a month or so. So I'm like, this is not too shabby. So talk a little bit about how you figured out that you should be on Clubhouse and capitalize on it. As we've already seen, you are an early adopter because you were all over the reels. So it makes sense that you would go to this. But what you have a brand, One Girl, One World. How did you bring that to Clubhouse? How are you figuring out what rooms to host? How are you figuring out which rooms to join? How are you finding your footing? Because the the default would be to do a bunch of travel stuff. And it's Clubhouse is international. So it's like, let's do all these travel things. But since you've pivoted, it's like, well, should you do more beauty stuff? Or are you trying to find like a nice balance? How are you using this platform? Yeah, so Clubhouse is a lot, and um, especially as a creator, a lot of us have systems. You can batch content, you can go out and shoot, and then use the photos like four months from now. But with Clubhouse, you have to be 100% present. Um, So you do have to enjoy speaking. I think 
for me, it's been great because it's helped me to kind of get over some of that anxiety when it comes to speaking in the moment and not being able to curate content in the way that I usually do. So that's one thing that I enjoy about it, but it's also kind of tough um, and it can be exhausting. And so for me, I've had to learn to find the balance and really ask myself what are your intentions with this platform? Because as you said, I can be in travel rooms all day long. I can become an authority in that way. I can get on stage every time and speak on pretty much any topic pertaining to travel. But I had to ask myself, is that the direction that you're going? And while yes, travel is still a very strong part of my brand, so I do participate in those types of rooms, I also told myself, okay, well, you should get involved in the beauty community. So I go into their room sometimes and then I try to make connections as well in other parts of my identity that I'm developing just on a personal level. Um, like I go into a lot of Latinx, Afro-Latina rooms that discuss that part of my identity. Um, so it's like a balancing act because I use Clubhouse as a user organically, I guess I could say, just to participate in conversations that are interesting to me that may not have hundreds of people listening. And then I also do like to go into the rooms where I'm kind of like the expert and I'm helping and I'm giving advice. And something I will say that I've noticed is the growth has been almost the same in both scenarios. So if I enter a room of 30 people and we're talking about uh, Garifuna people in Honduras, that's uh, my lineage, I might gain all 30 followers from people in the room just from organically fostering connections and engaging. And then I could enter a travel room on how to get paid as a travel influencer with 500 people and still gain maybe 70 followers. And so the return is almost the same. Um, so I think as an influencer, it's interesting to really find what works on Clubhouse because it's always changing. And since it's voice, it's just a whole other, whole other thing to navigate. I do like it because I love not having to put my face on. I mean, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> it's so nice. You just plug it in. You can sit back in your pajamas and then host your thing. Get on stage. Moderating is its own beast, but you know, it's still it's still a fun platform. And I think you know, brands are really starting to get involved. So, have you seen any of that brand action? Have you been? approached are you cooking up ideas because you know they are itching to get on the platform mm -hmm. but they can't clubhouse is, is is set up a certain way where there is there aren't really any brand voices yet there are a few here and there and there have been some spectacularly awful um hosted co-hosted <laughs> rooms um that have definitely made headlines but what do you think is the future of Clubhouse in terms of influencers getting paid. I do know that they have their creator, um, they have some application form that they're doing now, and I think it's due by the end of the month, where they'll find you, I think they're going to pick 10 influencers, 50, I don't know, some some small number, and they'll either find you brand deals, or they'll pay you $5,000 a month to be on Clubhouse. And I was like, wait, even I'm going to apply for this. Oh, wow, like, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me get paid to just be hanging out on Clubhouse all day. I will definitely be in all of the rooms. I will make multiple <laughs> reoccurring shows. You know, why not? So I think they are definitely trying to make sure that once, you know, everything does open up... Clubhouse doesn't just fall off because I okay. think it is very popular because we have the time. So what are you seeing in terms of branded partnerships? Do you have any ideas cooking? Are you going to 
host a room that talks about, you know, your book? Like, how are you how are you going to make Clubhouse be more than just a place where you can gain some expertise and, and pick up a following on that platform, but have it expand into other parts of your brand and bring you revenue? Right. So for myself, I'm growing my following as an individual. Um, so you can find me on Clubhouse at One Girl, One World. Uh, I have 2.5K followers right now, which um, for the little amount of time that I've spent is pretty awesome compared to how much time I spend to grow on Instagram. Um, and then I have my club, One Girl, One World, The Club. And the club has over a thousand members and followers now. So that's exciting. So now I'm really starting to seriously ponder how am I going to use this uh, to continue to grow and perhaps serve brands in the future. And I did just do my first sponsored room uh, last week, and it was with a tourism board. Oh, very nice. Yeah, and so that was interesting because uh, it made me realize that brands do kind of need clubhouse creators to draw attention because I think if they had just hosted the room as is without creators to help draw people in and help like kind of keep the conversation going it could have very well ended up just being like a webinar on why our destination is awesome and I don't think anyone on Clubhouse is necessarily in the market to sit and listen to like a PR spiel type of webinar um vibe so it was that was interesting and I could see that being like a successful business model for brands in the future like hosting fireside chats but with creators giving their insight and then it's exciting for our audiences too because you have a chance to actually raise your hand and step on stage and be a part of the conversation in a way that you can't on other platforms so I love it I think you know I think that's a great way to do a branded room and I'm sure people will be taking that into account when they think about pitching you know, their brand partners and saying, like, can we do an Instagram post plus a clubhouse room and and testing that out. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because clubhouse, like I said, is is hot because we have the time. I think people had Zoom fatigue. We we're like, what? We can mm-hmm. talk to people and not have to put on a face. Yes. And it wasn't like you have to register in advance. And it's just it's very spontaneous, which I think we lost so much of that when Instagram really took off because like you said it's like let's batch content and we have content for the next four months like four months your hair might not even be the same but you're still posting those pictures you know and so we lost a lot of that we keep a little bit of it with stories but even stories because they're monetized now we're like let me plan out these stories let me schedule these stories let me make sure i do my good morning coffee story every day and it's like we know this is part of what you do so clubhouse really lets you have that spontaneity where you never know who will walk into a room you never know who will end up on stage and sometimes again it's spectacularly awful (laughs) you're just like what is happening here (laughs) someone please mute this person but most of the time it's great but it might be very short-lived so let's talk a little bit about what are your future plans in terms of you know because vaccines are rolling out People are feeling like maybe they might fly for Easter break and people are like, okay, I think I could reschedule X, Y, and Z for the summer. Are you ready to like dive right back into travel? You know, because I'm sure that will be in hot, hot, hot demand. And, you know, when you look at, you know, that versus beauty, 
it might be very tempting to fall back into the the old ways, especially because all your old contacts would be like, hey, Francesca, we know you do beauty now, but like, can, are you still doing, you know, are you still doing travel? So what are you thinking in terms of the future? Yeah, so that's been uh, the balancing act for me because I do very much want to continue to have travel to be a part of my brand uh, business-wise and just on a personal level. I still love traveling. It's still a huge part of who I am. It's just I feel relieved that that's not all that I am to my audience now. So I feel like I have a little bit more freedom, but you are 100% correct. I just did a partnership with the, uh, the Utah Tourism Board. So that was my first uh, sponsored campaign for travel in a, over a year. So that was interesting, kind of getting back into it and getting a feel. Do I still enjoy this? Is this still something that I want to be a part of my business model? And I can say that, yes, it was great. I had a great time. My audience was really excited about it, which... That made me a little nervous, too, as well, just to kind of start to inch back into that. I didn't know how people would respond, but I think because Utah is a U.S. destination, um, people were excited because it's a place that they can actually go right now. Um, and that's that's where I'm at right now. So I'll still do, like, domestic trips. I want to continue to show people that there are places in the USA that you can go if you're not yet comfortable diving in and brands are reaching out to me, tourism boards are reaching out to me to see how we can make that happen. So moving forward, it's going to be a balancing act of both beauty and travel. I love that. And, you know, domestic travel is great because even if you're ready to leave the country, other countries are not letting us in. So we shall (laughs) continue to be in the U.S., our lovely 50 states, getting to know our national parks uh, <laughs> this, <laughs> this summer. But, you know, it's very interesting because anytime I see people, I'm very lucky in that what I do for work and social and Instagram is very separate than what I do for fun. Like, you know, I don't post about beauty or fashion or any of the things that I do. It's very, like, influencer development focused. But for people like you who, you know, maybe you do purchase products for fun and you travel for fun, how do you find the balance of this is for work versus this is for enjoyment? Because I feel like even if you take a vacation for fun, it's like, oh, but I could get this shot and I could put this, oh, maybe I should shoot this video. And it's like, no, you're supposed to be on vacation. So this is one of those fields where like it, 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 the work actually could never stop if you don't purposefully turn off. So how do you how do you draw that line between this is for work and this is for play? Ooh. <laughs> that is a very good question. I think that's something that's constantly in development, because as you said, if I'm on vacation and I'm not like obligated to post, but it's still something that's. It's like an automatic reaction. I'm like, oh my God, this pool table is so cute. Like, let me get a picture here. Um, And it's kind of just a matter of having that self-control. But thankfully, since it's... When I get those impulses, it's out of like a love of sharing those things with people. And so it's just a matter of telling myself... Once I start to get overwhelmed, like say I'm on vacation, it's just for fun. I don't have to post about it. And I start putting that pressure on myself and it impacts the fun that I'm having. That's when I have to step in and kind of be like, okay, pause. No one is actively looking for this content. You're not obligated to post this content. Like take the picture if you have to, and then put your phone down and don't worry about if it came out good, if it came out cute or whatever. 
Um, and everybody knows those are the photos that perform the best anyway. The ones where I like, know. <laughs> just take this picture really quick. It's like practically goes viral, ends up on the explore page. This other picture where you styled and shot and scouted. It's like womp womp. Nobody cares. It's like what? Sometimes what is the point? <laughs> yeah, especially with reels. That's that's a huge thing. I could spend like hours on a reel and it'll do okay, and then I could just throw together something like, oh, this view is pretty. Let me do a quick montage and people eat it up. So, <laughs> and then in terms of in terms of just you know putting the electronics down, which I think maybe some of us had started to get together. We had started to figure out, okay, maybe I should take some breaks. And then of course, Clubhouse rolled up, and then you can literally be on Clubhouse from sun up to sundown. I refuse. I will not let it take over my life. I won't. I won't do it. But plenty of people, you know, there's there's so much opportunity there. Do you have days where you don't check your phone? Like how, what's your relationship with like your phone, your tablet, your computer? Is it more of a love hate or do you have days where you actually like disconnect? So I'm literally just starting to implement a hard weekend where I'm like, okay, it's Friday night from Friday night to Monday morning. I'm not working. Um, I still oh, well, my- thank you for doing this podcast in your in your hard weekend stop. I, yeah, I was like, <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> I was like, for Brittany, I'll make it work. But if it had been someone else, I was like, podcast on a Sunday. But in your case, this is, yes. Um, but yeah, so, but that's something I literally just started doing like two weeks ago. So uh, it's still, it's a journey. Um, I believe so much in self-care. So even though I've learned to, find moments of self-care during my week, I realized, okay, but you can't actively advocate for this if you're not really putting your wellness first. And so for me, that does mean putting like a hard stop on work, which is so hard because your brand is like an extension of who you are. And so um, as far as my phone, it gets complicated because I'm a consumer of social media as well. Um, So it's just a matter of of yeah just trying to strike that balance between like enjoying social and then not feeling obligated oh well I just have I have like 10 dms let me go ahead and reply to those and it's like no you're only Mm. here to scroll you're here to comment on your friend's posts you're here to catch up on stories stop it so I know it's it's rough but but it's necessary and then just in terms of this is my last question for you in terms of like imposter syndrome and just you know this this constant comparison that you can do through social when you have these hard stops or when you're on vacation actually trying to enjoy yourself do you what's your your coping mechanism from looking and being like oh there's a trend happening i probably should jump on this trend and like i'm gonna miss i'm gonna miss the sound and like oh i could really do something cute with this real thing that you know there's just there's so much that's happening where sometimes I'll look and I'll be like, I, I'm, I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. I'm not, I'm not going to that clubhouse room. I'll be getting pings. And I'm like, nope, it's dinner time. I cannot come in your room. Stop asking me. You know, because it, if even if you've decided you're going to take a break, other people don't know you're taking a break. Short of you mm-hmm. announcing on social, you know, on weekends, don't ping me. Don't write me. I'm not going to answer your DMs. Which some people take breaks and they'll say for the next three weeks, I'm going to be MIA. Don't ask for me, which is an interesting approach. And if you need to do it, that's great. But how how are you at, at making sure you don't give in when lots of things, time is of the essence and everything is a missed 
opportunity, which actually isn't true, but that's just the way it looks. Yeah, and I think that's a part of like the imposter syndrome too, is your mind telling you that. Um, so for me, it's two things. One, I have all notifications off. If it's not WhatsApp or a text, it's not, I have to actively go and open the app and check. And that has been monumental, especially with Clubhouse, because as you said, you get pinged for literally everything. So uh, my, my notifications are all the way off. And then I do have uh, on iPhones, they have a screen screen I think it's called screen time and you could set the amount of time and now they have it so that you could pick the amount of time on different days so like on weekends my email app is only like for two minutes and then after that it locks me out my Instagram is like for 15 minutes and then it locks me out so it's it's a lot of effort <laughs> to try to get myself to have that willpower but it helps it does help. And I think, you know, it requires you to actually live life, which is how you can continue to be creative. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of influencers have burnout. I am starting to, I think, suffer a little bit from it where I'm just like, am I even learning anything right now so I can teach or am I just talking all the time? You know, because you do have to intake so you mm-hmm. can, you know, if you're not trying new products, how are you supposed to tell people which new products to try? Like, you've got to actually have time to be the expert it's it's like continuing education you know you have to make sure you keep learning so you can keep sharing with your audience and it's hard when you're constantly engaging constantly promoting it's like stop I I need to like go read some articles so I have something to tell you guys about (laughs) I can't keep talking to all of you but it's it's difficult you know and I think I think post pandemic which is the period we're we're getting into I think a lot of people will be considering you know do I want to go back to the way my social media was? I think for a lot of people, the answer to that is going to be no. You know, they've people have really figured out how to have a deeper connection with their audience because it is more about the regular day-to-day life everybody has as opposed to here's me swimming with the pigs in X, Y, and Z exotic place and you're just home and you'll never come here. And it's like, it's great for aspiration, you know, but I think the the new face of social media has more of a motivating factor because these people look like you you can see even your favorite influencer has like a crappy new york city apartment or like a not so great la apartment and it's like your apartment looks just like mine oh i never knew that because you were never home and so you know seeing people also try to figure out like what are we going to eat for dinner and like i have to do my hair now and i can't go to the salon i think influencers went back to being real people, which is really a breath of fresh air because every influencer had the same filter, was doing the same brand partnerships, was capitalizing on the same trend. And it got, I think that's why Instagram stopped being fun for a while. It got very stale. Everyone was just trying to game the algorithm and people weren't really creating. And I think when forced to, even people like yourself who were talented before found new avenues to be creators in and educate audiences on. And I really hope we don't lose that. I hope it doesn't slip back into, okay, well, let's go back to business as usual because it was boring. I think this <laughs> is, you know, actual pandemic woes aside, and there are many of them, for, but from within our influencer bubble, it was really exciting to see people try new things because they could just chalk it up to, it was a pandemic, I was experimenting, what do you want from mm-hmm. me? You know, no one really feels um, the same amount of pressure 
that you felt, you know, pre-March of last year. So I'm happy to see you out there doing it. And like I said, and you know, in the beginning, you're not even just kind of pivoting. You've done a successful pivot. And it'll be interesting to watch you and a lot of influencers walk the lines when the old way comes a calling because it'll be (laughs) any any day now. (laughs) I, I agree. And, you know, I can't, it's hard to predict. And so I'm just taking time to really ask myself before those things come, what is it that you want? What is it that you need to say no to? What is it that you need to say yes to? How do you strike that balance? I feel like pivoting um, and then continuing to grow your brand after, it's like a constant evolution. Like, I don't know if I'll ever, I'm sure one day I'll arrive, but even if you don't pivot, I think it's constantly learning, growing, as you said, um, taking things in and having these weekends. I've been reading my Vogue magazines again, looking at Allure and just starting to gather inspiration to take my content to the next level for what that means for me um, and kind of breaking out of just, I, I mean, I never mimicked what I saw on Instagram, but like you said, there's a formula, there's an algorithm. So you kind of do what works and it's exciting to be in a place where I feel confident that I can start flexing my creativity in different ways. And, and you know, you have to tell yourself if it doesn't get the normal amount of likes, At least you tried and it's there and you just have to keep pushing. I love that. And I think that's a great closing note. And I'm sure everyone learned a lot from you. It's always nice to talk to you and hear your transparency. It's very refreshing. I love that like it's you doing your work and we're we're not hearing from you pretending like you're doing XYZ when really it's some giant team behind you. It's you telling us these are this is what I'm dealing with and and this is how I'm doing it. And it's always nice because you're you're successful in, in doing a great job and I think people can learn a lot from you. So tell everyone who now has listened to this, loves you, can't believe they don't follow you, where can they find you, stalk you down, and buy your ebooks? Thank you so much. So you can visit my website, onegirl-oneworld.com. You can also just type One Girl One World on Google and it'll be the first thing that pops up. And all my ebooks, blog posts, uh, social media channels are linked there. And then you can find me at One Girl One World across platforms. I'm on YouTube, Clubhouse, Instagram, and Pinterest now, which we didn't get to talk about, but definitely find me on Pinterest because that's a part of my strategy. And yeah, just keep an eye out for what's coming, always evolving. Yeah, we're going to have to do a part two and get the Pinterest in there because Pinterest, people know I'm out here preaching the Pinterest gospel. Girl. on it. Do it, do it, do it. It must be done. But thank you so much for taking time out of your your hard no (laughs) weekend to share, you know, share your insights with everyone. It's greatly appreciated. And, you know, hopefully we'll see you in in a clubhouse room sooner or later. Yeah, sounds good. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to the Influencer Essentials Podcast. Each week, our influencer guests will drop lessons on how they build their brand, run their business, and find their balance. I'm your host, Brittany Hennessy, author of Influencer, Building Your Personal Brand in the Age of Social Media, creator of the Influencer Business Plan course, and co-founder of Carbon August, an influencer education company. On this week's episode, I chat with Francesca Murray of One Girl, One World on her pivot from travel to beauty post-COVID-19, 
how she battled imposter syndrome to create three ebooks, and the key to balance when what you do for work is what others do for fun. This is a good one, guys, so let's get into it. 